Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the amazing actor Lucas Jade Zuman. We get to talk all about his brand new film, Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets. That's not an easy one to say. We also get to touch base and talk all about previous work, such as 20th Century Women, which is an absolutely amazing film and alongside some incredible talent, and obviously his debut in Sinister 2, as well as the TV series Sense8, and so much more. It's a great chat and I can't wait to share it with you in just a couple of minutes' time. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I like to touch base and talk about the previous episode. So on episode 147, I was joined by the director of the great film, Great White, Martin Wilson. This was easily my favourite episode I've recorded this year, and it was amazing to see the response online and people seeing just why I loved it so much. A great guy and someone I'm really keen to get back onto the show. But let's get back to today's episode. I'm joined by Lucas Jade Zuman, someone who is making a massive name for himself in the industry and has a huge career ahead of him and has already been working with some incredible talent and amazing directors. So here's me and Lucas talking all things movies. So Lucas, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Of course, thank you for having me. What I wanted to do today, Lucas, is take it right back to the start. Uh, I know you're quite young and still, you know, only just into your acting career and have a huge career ahead of you. But what was it that made you want to be an actor? Was it a certain actor you were watching or a certain film or was it uh, something with your family? How, how did it come about? Well, I think I've always had a great interest in the engineering of human emotion, kind of the basis of where it stems from in the mind and then how it affects people in social interactions. And um, when it comes to dramatic films like Dr. Bird, they are really good for being able to exercise that muscle, I think. You know what I mean? Um, When it comes to uh, like just specifically focusing on on his emotion of of anger and his inability to kind of um, to manage that that emotion, um, it's extremely relatable, I think, because anger is one of those emotions I think everybody struggles with all the time. You know, and so that's one of the things that drew me towards acting in the first place was really being able to like encapsulate such a powerful feeling and have control over it. You know, so so can you remember some of those early films you were watching that had those emotions that made you kind of you know blew you away that made you think, Jesus, this is incredible. Well, do you know the uh, Manuel Lubezki? Uh, he did a cinematographer. It was uh, Birdman. Oh yeah, Michael. amazing. Um, that was one that I watched. Uh, I wouldn't say the earlier, I, I was already acting at that point, but it was one of those films that sort of influenced a, uh, a, a series of, of film studies for me when it comes to, I actually always was sort of drawn towards the cinematography side as opposed yeah. to the acting more so. And so I would end up receiving little emotional tidbits from the actors of films that I were watching specifically for the visual stuff. So all of Wes Anderson's films, I think in oh, particular- I love Wes Anderson. Something. Because not only do you have the beautiful cinematography by Robert Yeoman, but you have this acting and such a perfectly cast group. Um, and each of his films are so different. So they're expressing something completely abstract. And I, I just, I absolutely love that concept. If I could ever be part of any sort of film, at that point I was thinking to myself, if I could ever be part of any kind of film, it would be this kind of film. I think particularly I was watching um, Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. Um, that, that film in particular with the Owens was just, it blew me away. 
one of my favorite films is Moonrise Kingdom by Wes Anderson. I think it's yeah. absolutely unbelievable. Just the minimalistic of just the two young actors just blowing every scene away and then you just get five minutes in and you get Bruce Willis and then you get Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton and it just works every time and you you notice everything and something new every single time you watch it exactly so is that what you want to do is that if he's listening right now you want to be in a Wes Anderson film oh absolutely if, if it happens <laughs> to be time, I have great respect for yours and Robert's work and I, I yeah absolutely <laughs> So can you remember those first auditions that you went to that kind of gave you a flavor of how the industry was going to be and those roles that were going to come your way? Obviously, I know we, you got involved in horror quite early on, but what were those right. early roles that you were auditioning for that gave you a taste of the industry? Well, I, I would say the first professional production I ever did was for the Light Opera Works Theatre House in Chicago. And I did an audition. Um, I just finished doing a, like a neighborhood play of Oliver Twist. And okay. I really just jump back into specific that play and it happened to be at the time that they were doing a professional production of Oliver Twist at the local uh, opera house so I thought oh that or the opera theater company and um I auditioned for that I didn't hear anything for three months I kind of gave it up at that point started working on my own sort of little film stuff like that improvisational kind of stuff I eventually got um a callback or I got uh, a contract for the job and that project was just so much fun. That is kind of the determining factor for me when I decided to continue putting myself out there. Um, and so it was, I think, the, the first film audition that I ever really did related to that was an open casting call for a Disney, just a general like, cattle call of some kind. Yeah. Um, and I went to uh, the PR casting agency in Chicago and the, um, the lady, Mickey Pascal, um, did not really know who I was, but after the audition, she kind of took me out of the room into the, uh, like the, the common space. And she just said, who's with this kid. Right. <laughs> like, you know, and everyone in the room just kind of like froze a little bit. My dad is like, oh shit, what did he do? Yeah. <laughs> so, what have you, you know, broken son? What did I break? Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. I, um, and so she took us back to the office. She's like, you know, do you have an agent? You know, and she just kind of, this was a very un, um, I would say a very bad example of what auditions would really go like because I never had an experience like this ever again in the future where the casting director was so interested in me and not necessarily for the role that I was auditioning for. But that was kind of what sparked, I think, my, my acting career and what drove me towards getting an agent because she immediately referred me to the best agent that she knew in Chicago. Um, I immediately went audition for her and from that point forward, I kind of uh, just started going out on auditions in the Chicago area for yeah. commercial or, and then I did like a PSA for meningitis and that's how it all kind of started filmically <laughs> for me. And and the big one that people will recognize you for is obviously Sinister 2. Sure. Yeah. That's the, that's the first film that I ever did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. I speak to a lot of upcoming actors and people that are getting into the industry and not many people get that big, huge break in a, a debut film that's on that scale. Yeah. I mean, Sinister is up there, isn't it? With those horrors like The Conjuring and Scream and these classics, you know, people absolutely love the Sinister films and the franchise is just grown and grown. So how was it, you know, coming onto that set and being involved in such a large production at quite a young age, you must've been quite like, whoa, this is, serious shit yeah i think primary uh intimidation that i got from that project was the amount of preparation it required every day because of the amount of makeup i had to get done yeah um, so i really could feel for exactly what kind of work i would be doing sitting in a chair for two hours straight kind of just keeping my composure and not ma making my face move too much 
because there was a lot of prosthetics and things they had to do. And just watching them all kind of, because at that film, they were kind of gearing towards uh, high production quality with a low budget. And they, they achieved that, they really did. Um, and the way that they were doing that was really a lot of people working very hard for a long duration of time. Um, and that gave me just kind of a, a work ethic, I would say, yeah. um, was kind of a standard for myself and for others when I continued to do projects. And I will say before that point, I actually got the chance of working on in a scene of the first episode of Sense8 with yes. the Wachowski. And so I kind of already had a feel for like the creative vision being um, projected on set. And then when it, and it was sort of like a, um, a B team that we were shooting that with. So I didn't really get at that point a full feel for what a full production scale would feel like. Yeah. Um, so the two going into the Chicago Studio City, um, which soon became uh, the home for me for my next film as well. Ironically, a children's uh, story, <laughs> like an adventure story. <laughs> I was like, okay, this, this amusement park area where we have this Ferris wheel where I murdered my parents three months ago. So yeah, don't mind that. I'll just be a completely different character. <laughs> That's amazing. But yeah, that was just a great like diversification of my uh, my character analogies. I I, I really do. Um, I'm really appreciative for being able to do Sinister and then back to back with another project like that in Chicago. It, it was an experience that I you know hope that I could have again. And then obviously only just over 12 months later, you're involved in one of my favorite films, actually, 20th Century Woman, which I thought was genuinely, and I don't use this word a lot, but masterpiece. And to see the cast list, you've got, you know, Annette Benning, Ellie Fanning, Greta Gerwig, and one of the most underrated actors out there, Billy Crudup for me, in Almost Famous as an actor. He is unbelievable. The way that Cameron Crowe gets that performance out of him. But then to see you all on set, I don't even know, obviously it's hard because you are you are the person, but I don't even know how you would prepare yourself mentally to be around such incredible talent on a day-to-day -day basis. They are literally some of the best actors in the world. I, I will say I wasn't that intimidated. Um, in particular, Billy Crudup was extremely helpful in that. He was just one of the most warm, kindest people I have ever worked with. That's good to I mean, hear. Not crediting Annette or Elle, obviously. <laughs> but um, what we did all together, me, Greta, Elle, Annette and Billy right from the very start with Mike was we kind of we there were certain playlists that he wanted us to kind of incorporate into our understanding of the environment and uh, the feeling of each scene yeah. and so we danced a lot together we did a lot of improvisational dance together in Mike's little studio space and that was extremely helpful in making us extremely loose and comfortable with one another because then, as you said I could have been very easily intimidated and not given my best performance because simply of such the stark studied cast that we had. And I, I really do think that some that of that intimidation and nervousness that was that remained lended something to the character that Mike kind of wanted to be there in the first place. So that was, you know, understandably uh, important, but um, I did get a lot of support from them throughout the entire process, regardless That's how many weeks before the start shoot date that you go. I mean, I, yeah, the dancing with them was a lot of fun. And you can see it incorporated in a lot of yeah. parts. We actually, I'm sure that there were some pairs of dance partners that Mike wanted to eventually put in the film that never got in there just because there were, there's so many different chemical reactions that can occur with these kind of characters, you know? What's really cool about that is you're saying that you're learning from this talent every day and they're helping you and supporting you and just being part of the team. But that's something that you can't learn from any film school. That's the stuff that's 
you know, from the heart experience. And that must be incredible. Oh, yeah. I'm really grateful. That was a film school. And so, you know, it's it's very much on the workplace working. I mean, that's, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And at the moment, obviously, you're out promoting doctors, a long one to say, Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets. How how did this come about for you? Well, um, when I first read the script for Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets, I did a little more research into the history of the, the story itself. Yeah. Um, the story is 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 kind of an original story, but the character and these characters that exist in this universe that was created um, are part of the Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets book, which or novel, which had already been written. So I, I got to you know retrieve some inspiration from that book. But again, the movie is kind of it, it sets a sort of um, set setting and, and context to to the character's uh, desire, where his objective right now is to find his lost sister Jory who um, through a series of events that will unfold in the film is no longer with the family. Yeah. Um, and James, uh, he really just, he really wants to reunite with her. He thinks that that's the answer to, to the emotional dilemma that he's experiencing right now. And um, when I read that script at first, I, I was very um, intimidated by the amount of emotion that would yeah. need to be portrayed. Uh, I didn't think I was capable of it, to be quite honest. Um, because I was presently dealing with my own stresses and anxieties that um, I could very easily relate to the character and I yeah. could lend something true to it if I had the energy. But for someone who I can totally relate to who doesn't have the energy to kind of overcome their emotions in a controlling fashion and use them as, as a paintbrush, you know what I mean? Uh, I, can only, I can totally imagine wanting to turn that project down. Yeah. And um, I almost did. I almost did want to. Um, I was so glad that I was stuck through it. It was a hard, hard process. But by the end of Dr. Bird, I had kind of become friends with those feelings. I was going to say, did it did it kind of feel like a bit of a counseling session where you could then relate and take on the mental challenges as part of your job and then deal with them in a different way? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I think actually quite uh, reasonably the, the scenes with the bird did not provide as much um, emotional consolation as yeah. like they would. And I think that that's by design because those those birds were kind of a personification or I should say anthropomorphized uh, version of his, um, of his uh, consciousness kind of consoling himself. And so he wasn't really going to get anywhere with no. that. You know, he, he kind of needed to be looking outside of himself in order to receive that help. Um, and I, I needed to do the same thing at that point. Um, and, and kind of the process of the film uh, itself and those people who I was working with, it was really all about the environment. If the crew and other cast members can create a stable environment for you to literally get in front of the camera and just be that character, whatever that means for that scene, and you won't even notice that they're there, then they're doing their job extraordinarily well. You know what I mean? massively the crew members did a fantastic job of making such a comfortable environment that's good that you're honest as well that you you know you were intimidated by it a little bit you know you were like am i going to be able to pull this off there's a lot of emotions there that are probably too close to home so is it going to be a bit too raw yeah but i think that's one of the things that are so that's so great about being an actor or yes you can explore those feelings in yourself in in a safe environment you know and then the whole world get to see it yeah, yeah. If it's, it's honest, right? You do like five or six of them, and the best one yes. is going to 
editors know what's right. <laughs> and I do. So, uh, And one of the questions <laughs> I ask all actors that come on here and directors and musicians, but um, a lot of people will be listening today that want to be like yourself and become an actor. And obviously with the use of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, you can get yourself noticed. But what advice do you give to those people that want to stand above everyone else and try and get into an industry that is so difficult to break through in? Yeah. I think it really does come down to connections. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people who are very skilled um, and could be better actors than I, um, if they had either the confidence to be in front of camera or they had the networking skills. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of people in this world who are capable of portraying emotion in the way that a lot of other actors and, and Oscar winning performances I think exist out there without us ever even noting, noting them. Um, I do think that some of the best ways that you people can do it now is really to try and network and get an agent in their neighborhood or in their city anyway. And so that they can have connections with casting directors in their area so that they don't have to be submitting tapes. They can actually get up in front of people's faces. I mean, obviously with the whole pandemic, things are changing in that regard, but really the best way to, they want to see your face, you know, and having an in-person connection with a casting director is extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, so whether it be through a program like Actors Access online, or you actually go in and you find an agent for yourself and you do research on agents, agencies in your, in your neighborhood and you audition for them, either way, you can be getting information about casting that's happening in your area. And that putting yourself out there is, is literally the only way to do it. Yeah. And what I do on this podcast to make it quite um, original and stand out is the piece of music that is on the outro of every episode is chosen by the guest. Now, if I gave you too long to think about it, you'll be like, I need an hour. I need to whittle it down from 12 songs to six to two to one. But you only allow one piece of music. It can be by any band, any artist, any film score. But when I ask you the question, this interview is all wrapped up. What is the perfect outro song for you on this episode? Perfect outro song for me is Where I'm From by Diggable Planets. Nice. I love it when people know straight away and aren't like, oh, oh can I get back okay. to you? I'm picturing it right now. Fade out and it's like... Awesome. Yeah, okay. <laughs> am, I, am I seeing a guitar in the background? Is that an acoustic guitar? You are. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. One on the bottom is mine and the other one is my girlfriend's. That's incredible. That's, uh, that's a Martin right there. That's my favorite. Oh, man. That thing plays so nice. I have a Martin and a Fender acoustic, and they're unbelievable. Oh, they're yeah, my pride yeah. and joy. So uh, I absolutely love playing. Do you get much time, or is it um, literally when you're only not working, you get to sit and chill? Well, as of right now, I just moved into Chicago. This is like our new apartment now. We were just living in Florida, so I'm really excited to be back. We put them on the wall because we want to play them more. And so yeah. I've been playing it at least a couple times a day. You know, That's I just good. look at the living room, and I'm like, oh, it's on the wall. Heck, yeah. I'm just going to pull it down, do some... Uh, some little fun and yeah i mean that's how I, it should it really be on the wall just for practice purposes you know? no it's good i i feel bad like mine's got dust on it and it just makes me depressed i'm like i should be playing this what am i doing yeah. that's how i feel about my camera gear right now because yeah. <laughs> i have full set up you know ready to make you know short films and stuff like that that i like doing but it just sits for some time you know if you got other things going on but you know having those tools having those resources at your disposable at your disposal is really really useful just so that you know you could make a film yeah. i like having that idea you know? i could use my telescope to look at the stars if i wanted to <laughs> you know but right now extension of myself i can make this music i can make this film i don't know i can write these things it just it feels good you don't have to have things in order to get things done yeah. but there are certain tools 
that you know I want to have on my belt. No, that's good. good. <laughs> and it's good that you're playing. It's like a couple of times a day is a hell of an achievement at the moment. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lucas, our time is up by one minute. So I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I'd love to get you back on in the future and we can talk more, especially about all the mental health space you've been in the past and wherever, yeah. you know, these talks, I always feel 20 minutes is great, but in an hour we could really go much deeper. But um, I really do appreciate sure. you coming on today. Thank you, Mark, for having me. I do appreciate that. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Lucas Jade Zuman, an amazing actor and as I said at the start of today's episode, has a huge career ahead of him. He's only young but he's got his head screwed on, he's got some incredible work behind him and an amazing future ahead so I can't wait to see where it takes him. As we discussed on today's episode, I urge you to go and check out the film 20th Century Women. It's absolutely fantastic with an amazing cast. If you haven't seen his debut on Sinister 2, it's an amazing horror that you should honestly go and check out. Both the films are fantastic. And we're talking about his brand new film, Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets. Honestly, I got it, really struggle to say that one, but I got it right both times. I'm proud of myself. It's an emotional film. It's got everything that you'd expect from this sort of story. And the story tells the struggle about how to overcome anxiety and depression. And honestly, it's a fantastic film and easy one of my films of the year. So go and check it out and then jump on social media and let me know what you think. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please jump on markandme.com. On there, there's links to my Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I say this on every episode because it's absolutely crucial to the success of this podcast. It costs absolutely nothing to share the episode. You can click one button and retweet it on Twitter. You can share it on Facebook or you can share it on the stories on your Instagram. It really does get the word out there and honestly gets a whole new audience to Mark and me. If you want to go one step further and really support the podcast, I've now got a Patreon page and also a coffee page, or Kofi, however you pronounce it. On there, you can buy me a coffee, or you can sign up and each month via Patreon, you'll be entered into prize draws to win some incredible prizes. You'll receive an amazing limited edition badge just for signing up. And thanks to the guys at Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts and the amazing Vice Press, I'm getting bigger and better prizes every month. So thanks to those guys for supporting me and giving you guys some incredible opportunities at home. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode. I say it every week, but as it stands, I've got 19 episodes to edit. It's absolutely manic and I'm not going to slow down anytime soon. So thanks again for all your support. Thanks for listening today. Look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all soon. Some sounds booming out of Jeep where I'm from. Cocoon tied the youth, swoon units hundred proof. You want some beef? They will cut you some where I'm from. 
The beats is infinite where I'm from. Voodoo at Shubanine, gangster lean where I'm from. I'm interplanetary, my insect movements vary. It's kinky if it's here. G, where I'm from, the fire hoses blow. It's purple when it's snow. I do a hit and go. Split. It's hip, what's hip? When hip is just the norm. Cause planets pledge allegiance to the funk in all its forms. The kinks, the dance, the prints on all the shirts. My grandmother told my mother it's Africa at work. On vibes, we freak, them universal beats. You find it at the spot, you hear the ends of every week. We twist, exist, to spin the maddest hits. Up here, funk is our neighbor, so we paid her a visit. The lip we sit can house the nine zips. For rock, we can't do nothing. But it's we come equipped. Of disc, or tape, rap, blast until from eight. The really, truly fat, the fly, on the flip. Coco gotta know how planets gotta roll Speak the mega cool, get funky as a goal It's calm, relax, we're only some new jacks That acts on the funk but don't play the role Where you from? Wicked dick plans got team where I'm from Where I'm from, it's Clarence 13 Where I'm from, where I'm from Brothers took the beats and got fly Why? That's most ass by 85 where I'm from in the funk, you get dead. Projects, tenements, pyramids. Where I'm from, we're living off that boom, boom, crack. It's that hip hop, rockers, jazz when I max. Peace be the greeting of the insect tribe. Pestilent forces can't catch the vibe. We live to love and we love to rock mics. We speak in ghetto tongue, cause ghetto's the life. Food for thought, so get a buffet plate. The lyrics are so fat, you might gain weight. So just watch me step alone into the sunset. Left foot, right foot, one, two, mic check. Brewing funk inside my soul kitchen. So pull up a chair, here's a bit, have a listen. A hard hit intervene. Damn, I know you flew Yeah, cause Doodle ain't having it, and Butterfly knew it. Where you from? Stretch for mad blocks. We can get a kick without no breath. Feeling funky beats go straight to the head. Fall into a club, dig on what we love. It be past six before we reach back. But if it's a relic, we say those are fat. Doodle making silk, the quad, where it's at. We knew the step was set for rap to take a step. So we treat our clips just like busting caps. Whip it till dawn, kick it till dawn. Hip hop is a fix or else we be gone. People thought they can't it. Rap is not by bandits. Diggable planets got it. 